So I'm curious, have you ever hired a personal trainer or maybe a nutrition coach? I, I actually know a lot of them. That, that, you know, a personal trainer, nutrition coach, there's somebody that you purposefully put in your life. You actually pay to put them into your life so that they can kick your tail a little bit. Now, the ones that I know, I consider some of them to be some of my closest friends. So I know they would never do it this way for you. But for me, I actually need somebody. I need somebody to say, dude, you're getting kind of fat and you need to kick it into gear. Right? That's what I need. In fact, I remember during my bodybuilding days, I, I remember one time in particular, I was practicing, I was doing a posing session with my coach. Posing session, if you don't know, is where I stand in front of the mirror in my underwear and flex, and he tells me things. That's what it is. <clears throat> but I was doing a posing session, and afterwards, he, he comes, and he looks me right in the face, and he says, uh, dude, if you go out on stage looking that fat, you're going to make a fool of yourself. <laughs> Did it hurt? Yeah. Yeah, it hurt. Did I cry in the bathroom for a while? Maybe for a little while, but I was fine. But I got better. And now we're in week three of this five-week series, and today we're actually going to learn more about how to find people who will tell you you look terrible. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> no, we're actually talking about, we're talking about five relationships in our lives that we believe everybody needs to have in their life to help them be changed, to help them be molded and transformed, and help them become everything that God created them to be. And we decided to do this series for one in particular reason, because based on our own survey, a survey of our own church, nearly half of our church, relevant community church, would say that they don't have any close friends who are actually helping them follow Jesus. Any friends at all that are helping them become more of who God created them to be. And as Pastor John mentioned last week, following Jesus, following Jesus can be really hard. Uh, learning how to become everything he created us to be is not easy at all. And we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own because we weren't created to do it on our own. So we need people. Uh, we need people who know us for who we really are. People who, where we can drop the pretense, where we can stop pretending, uh, where we can stop being, if you remember from week one, stop being an imaginary person around. So they can actually speak into our lives and actually help see us. Uh, help see us become more of who he created us. Help, help us see a preferred future. People who we can watch and learn from and model our lives and our actions after. We need these people in our lives so much. Uh, but I can promise you this with nearly 100% certainty that if our, out of our entire church, if like half of us don't have any of these relationships, I would say the percentage of people in our church that don't have the relationship we're talking about today is far, far, far greater. Because the relationship we're going to talk about today, you don't want it. <laughs> you don't want to have this relationship. In fact, you probably don't even think you need it. And if, and if you do want it and if you're humble enough to actually say or believe that you need it, I would bet that you probably don't know how to find it. Uh, but let me take some pressure off for you for, for this message in particular. Uh, this isn't really a relationship that you go out and find. Uh, this one, unlike some of the other ones, this one actually kind of has to find you. Uh, this person, uh, this person we believe that needs to be in your life to help you be more like Jesus, I think this person has the opportunity to have the greatest impact in your life. This person actually has the potential to help springboard your transformation unlike any other. But also unlike any of the other relationships, this, this relationship requires love. It requires love on a level unlike any other. Here's the biggest problem with love, and, I, and you know it, I know it, that love doesn't always feel loving. In fact, what love requires of us, a lot of times it can feel like anything but love. If, if you're a parent in the room, you know this to be true. At some point in every parent's life, every parent's life, you find a point where you have to make your kids hate you. Like, like literally, they're screaming from their bedroom that they hate you. 
You have to be willing to face that fury, that kind of anger. Uh, you have to face that head on, knowing in your heart that what you're doing is, is really best for them. But as a parent, I can tell you, in that moment, it doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel all that loving. And if you're a child, which we all are a child, and hopefully you grew up with good parents, then you would have been on the receiving end of this. Uh, you know this to be true, that you remember probably times in your life where your parents made you so, so angry. And at the time, for you, what they were doing to you and for you felt like anything but love. But as you look back on it and as you remember it, you remember it fondly because you're so grateful for what they did to protect you and to guide you. Because sometimes care doesn't feel caring and love doesn't feel loving. Sometimes love requires that we speak up. Sometimes love requires that we actually confront. Sometimes love requires that we challenge. And tail kickers, today's relationships, tail kickers do what love requires. We, we have people, I believe that we all have people in our lives who love us. And so if we all have people who love us, why do so few of us actually have tail kickers in our lives? Well, again, I, it may not be totally your fault. I, I don't think I know all the reasons why people we love don't step in and challenge and confront uh, and, and kick our butts a little bit when we need it. But I believe some of the biggest, most prevalent reasons are this. It's fear of rejection, discomfort with conflict, and apprehension around confrontation. These feelings that we have, these emotions that we have, they really just disguise themselves as sensitivity and concern. I'm just being sensitive. I'm just concerned for their feelings. When in fact, it's really just fear, discomfort, and apprehension. Here's the challenge for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. In order to love people, to be for other people what Jesus commands us to be for other people, we have to recognize fear, discomfort, and apprehension for what it is. We have to say fear, discomfort, apprehension, you're not going to keep me from doing what love requires. I, I care for this person too much. I love this person too much, and so I'm going to step in and I'm going to do what's uncomfortable. I'm going to say what needs to be said, even though it doesn't feel good. Uh, even though I don't want to go do it, I'm going to go do that because tail kickers do what love requires. There's a fourth reason. An another reason people don't speak up or confront and challenge, and this is kind of the worst, and that's indifference. It's not as much a feeling as much as it is a lack of feeling. It's a, it's a lack of concern where there certainly should be concern. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to admit that one. Nobody's ever going to own up to indifference because it's so embarrassing. Nobody's out there saying out loud, at least, that I don't care what happens to him. I don't care what happens to her. I, I can see that that decision he's about to make, I can see where that's headed, but I don't care. I, I can see the decision that she's about to make is going to really wreck her life, but I don't care. Now, instead, we say this I just, I shouldn't interfere. I shouldn't interfere. I'm going to pretend. Like I'm being sensitive. But in pretending to be sensitive, I'm just hiding. I'm just hiding in my fear and in my indifference. We love this one too. Like, oh, they just, they haven't asked. They haven't asked for my input. I, I love them and I care for them. And certainly if they were to ask, I'd be there for them. I'd share with them what I'm thinking. But, but they haven't asked, so I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait till they ask. And really we're hiding. We're hiding from our discomfort of conflict. And this is the key one for all of us. We know this one. It's just, it's just none of my business. Yeah, they're going to 
They're going to regret that one. I mean, I can see it from a mile away. They're going to regret it, but it's just not, it's not any of my business. He's going to wish, he's going to wish he never met her, but I, it's not my business. That's probably not going to work out best for them in their professional life, but I, that's not for me to say. I, it's none of my business. And here's the question, the question we all need to ask. When you, when you need someone, and if you haven't already, you will, when you need someone to mind your business because you haven't been doing such a good job of minding your own business, are you going to want the people you, that you love, the people that, that say that they love you, are you going to want them to give in to fear and discomfort and apprehension, or, or are you going to want them to speak up? Are you going to want them to confront you no matter how uncomfortable it is? You're going to want them to challenge you and to step in to the awkwardness if it keeps you from making things worse. If it keeps you from making a decision that's going to wreck your life and send your life into chaos. And the answer, you know. You know the answer. Even though it's so uncomfortable. Like even the thought of it is uncomfortable right now. In those moments, we need people to step up. We need people to speak up. Even though it's uncomfortable for them. And uncomfortable for us. We want people in our lives who are willing to say to fear, fear, you won't stop me. Fear, you won't stop me from stepping up and to speaking up. Uh, discomfort, you won't keep me from confronting apprehension. You won't stop me from kicking some tail because tail kickers do what love requires. The question is, how do we know what love requires? How are we supposed to be tail kickers for others? Well, thankfully for us, if you know anything about Jesus, if you've heard any of the stories about Jesus, Jesus was pretty well known for not caring too much about discomfort. He was pretty well known for not being worried about making a situation uncomfortable. And so he shares this with us quite plainly, actually. And one day Jesus, he's speaking with an audience. And I'm going to give some context in just a second. But in case you need to leave early or you fall asleep, let me just give you the bottom line right now. Matthew 18, 15 says this, if your brother or sister, now this isn't, literal brother and sister, this is friends, people that you're super close with, relationships that you have. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's reason enough right there not to follow Jesus, right? You're, you're reading that, you're hearing that, and you're going, who does that? I mean, like, who is willing or going to step in and just be that weird and that awkward? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, people who care and people who love you, they do that. People who say no to indifference and fear and discomfort, they're the ones who do that. And since this verse is so kind of stark and in your face, I do want to jump back a few verses. Because Jesus is actually talking to his audience and he's sharing with them two or three very important things. Then he kind of lands the plane around this whole idea that we're supposed to confront people in their sin. And as harsh as that sounds, I believe when you hear the whole conversation, at the end of it, you're actually going to think, this kind of makes sense. I mean, even though I don't feel like doing it, even though it's extremely uncomfortable, uh, even though it's awkward and strange, it, it kind of makes sense. And here's how the conversation goes between Jesus and his disciples. He says this, at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And the kingdom of heaven actually isn't this like far off, up in, up in heaven, outer space type of thing. The kingdom of heaven for Jesus, he was actually introducing it here on earth. He was introducing a new value system, a, a, new, a new moral, a new ethic to live by. And it was in stark contrast to the kingdoms of the world at the time. And so he's at, they're, ask, they're asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and they're kind of expecting Jesus to look at the group of 12 and be like, I think it's Peter. Peter's the best. No, no, maybe Matthew, he's the greatest. Well, he doesn't do that at all. He actually, he called out a little child to him 
And he placed the child among them. He looks out on the crowd, looks out past the disciples, and he says, hey, ma'am, can you, can you send your son up here for me? Just, just for a little bit. And he takes that child, sets them down amongst them, and he says this, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like this little child, these little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So now he's really got their attention, right? He kind of shifts gears. He answers the question in a way they weren't expecting. Then he begins what is a very uncomfortable teaching that's going to land with an equally uncomfortable command for all of us, all of us who follow Jesus. If anyone causes one of these little ones, uh, those who believe in me to stumble, now he expands beyond the child sitting in front of him to anybody who's really a follower of Jesus. He expands beyond the little children to anybody that's following him. And he says this, if, if, if they stumble, if, if they fall down, if they get tripped up, if they get thrown off course, if they veer off course, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so Jesus is saying, if you were to cause somebody to veer off course, if you were to cause somebody to stumble, it would be better for you to take a stone, a stone in the shape of a wheel that a donkey would pull to crush grapes and grains. It would be better to take that stone and tie it around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Jesus is using hyperbole. Like he just... He's just making an extreme point so that he gets everybody's attention. And he goes on, he says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Jesus is saying here there's, there's going to be things. There's going to be things that cause you to stumble, illness, a, a lost job, some troubles, circumstances maybe beyond your control. Like They're going to trip you up. They're going to cause you to veer off course a little bit. But woe to the person that is the cause. For a person to actually throw something in your way to cause you to veer off course. This was Jesus saying to the crowd, hey, don't be the reason for somebody's mistake. Don't be the reason they got off course or lost their way. When they tell their story and they bring up your name as the reason they stumbled, that's not going to go well for you. If their story goes like this, hey, I was, I was doing fine until I met him. I was doing fine until she came into my life. I was fine. How big of a deal is this? Well, he goes on to say this. This is extreme. Again, hyperbole. He says, if, you, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Throw is a key word. And obviously, it's not... Not literal, again, this is hyperbole. He's just making an extreme point. His point is this. If there's something that you actually have control over, like your hand, that has the potential to trip you up and cause you to stumble, then deal with it. Get rid of it. Throw it away. And if your eye, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If there's anything in your life that has the potential to get you off course, to create a regret for you or or can cause you to trip up. Jesus is saying, get rid of it. The reason he uses such extreme measures is that God loves you so much. He would do anything. He would go to any extreme measure to help keep you from getting tripped up. To, to help keep you from stumbling in your life. This is such a big deal because you're such a big deal. It requires an extreme response because he loves you so much. Finishes off, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of Gehenna. And Jesus is making the point. 
a clear point that it's better to throw some things out of your life than to have your entire life thrown into chaos. Better for you to take extreme measures while you're still in control before your life spins out of control. We read the word Gehenna. Gehenna was actually a literal place. It was on the south side of Jerusalem that the Jews believed to actually be cursed for some things that took place a long time before. But it actually ended up becoming the dump, the city dump for Jerusalem. And so there were continuous fires burning in Gehenna. And Jesus is making the point that it's better to throw some things out of your life into that fire than to have your entire life thrown into that fire, to have your entire life thrown into chaos. When your entire life is thrown into chaos, you know this, man, it just becomes hell on earth. So the question is, have you ever stumbled? Of course you've, of course you've stumbled. And once, once you've stumbled in that thing, it becomes an addiction. Or once you've stumbled and, and the, the outcome of that becomes irreversible and there's nothing, nothing you can do about it, isn't it true you wish you could go back? That you wish you could go back and throw that one thing out of your life? For some of us, isn't it true, isn't it true you wish you would have thrown that phone number away? Just thrown it away, but, but you called that number and now your whole life... Your whole life is in chaos. Or you wish you would have deleted that text before you hit send, but you didn't. You hit send anyway. Now your whole life, your whole life is in upheaval. For some of us, we, we wish we would have never taken that first drink. We, we wish we could go back to that one time and just throw that out of our lives because now our entire life is into chaos. And so why does Jesus, why does he take such extreme measures? It's because he loves you. So extremely. And he cares for you so much. Then Jesus, he switches gears a little bit. Just as a reminder, this is what he said so far. Things are going to come along in your life that will cause you to stumble. So look out. Uh, Don't be the thing that causes somebody else to stumble because God's not a big fan of that. And if there's things in your life that you can get rid of that will keep you from stumbling, then get rid of them. Then he switches up and he gets really, really personal. I love this. He, he says, so what do you think? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool to be sitting in the crowd with Jesus and go, what do you think? I wouldn't answer because you'd probably be wrong. But he, it'd be cool, right, if he asked you the question. And then Jesus goes in and he tells a very familiar parable. See, Jesus taught for three years. And so the, the, the stories that we read, he probably told them multiple times so that, so that people could learn them and, and, and implement them and actually put them in their lives. And Jesus tells a very familiar parable but has a different point. He has a different thing that he wants us, an application he wants us to learn. And he says this, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, uh, and we'll use the words we're using today, if he stumbles away or gets lost or veers off, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. And I didn't... I didn't have this in my notes, but I shared it with the first gathering. I don't want you guys to be left out. So this verse, I don't know if we know the power of it really because it's just a story, right? Well, if, you, if, you're, if you're one of the ones that have wandered away, if you, maybe you're back here for the first time. Maybe you're watching online. You're just trying to maybe give this thing one more shot because you've just gone so far off. I want you to see what Jesus is saying right here. Jesus is making it very clear that if you're here today, 
God is happier about you being here today than he is about me. God finds more joy in your presence in this room today to hear about him than he does about me. And I'm a professional. It's what I do. I never went anywhere. But he finds more joy in you being here than in me. And I want you, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel the love that it takes for that to be true. That's what he's saying, that he finds more joy in the one than the 99 that didn't wander off. And in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Perish really just means that they would be lost or ruined. Or I'm just so glad Jesus feels this way about me. You should be so glad he feels that way about you. He's, he's willing to come after you. When you wander off, he's willing to chase after you. He's willing to come after me. And at this point, the disciples, man, they got to be thinking, thanks, Jesus. That was a good one. Heard that one before. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to go get some food. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. No, hang on. We're not done here. Uh, since you're a follower of mine, you have an extreme part to play in this. And so he continues. So when you see someone you know, someone you love, stumble and wander off or get tripped up, this is where we started the whole thing. If your brother or sister sin, then you... Whether you feel like it or not, go and point out their fault, to which we're pretty quick to say, no, we don't go. We pray. Got to pray that someone, not me, that someone would go, right? And we don't just pray, we gossip. And we say, hey, I've got this friend. I'd love for you to pray for my friend. I'm not going to say his name, but it's Bill. Um, you all know him. His last name's F. But, you know, it's like. We, we do that too, like we, we, we kind of hide behind prayer as a way to tell stories about people. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't just pray, you go. And you don't just talk about it with others. He actually covers that in this verse. He goes, just between the two of you. So we're quick to say, hey, Jesus, none, it's none of my business. And Jesus says, no, I just, I just made it your business. Their business is your business because their business is my business. And I love them, and so I'm sending you. Because that's what love requires. And then this is really kind of the only, like, redeeming verse for us. Makes us feel good a little bit. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Whenever they tell their story, they'll bring up your name. It was going rough, but then Sally showed up, or then, then Bill showed up. And we had this awkward conversation. It was certainly uncomfortable. And I'll tell you what, I was really mad. I was really angry with them. But then I realized that and what they were pointing out to me, it was right. And so I confessed and I made changes and I did the hard thing and I, and I saw that change take place in my life. And forever you'll be a permanent positive part of their life. And you're like, sweet, we can stop there. And Jesus is like, no, we're not stopping there because it never or rarely ever stops there. You, you probably know that. He says, but if they will not listen. Take one or two others along with you. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Who does that? <laughs> I mean, it's uncomfortable enough for me. Like, who's, you, now you want me to drag my friends along with me? Make it not only more uncomfortable for me, but more uncomfortable for them? I mean, who does that? Well, good shepherds. Good shepherds, they do that. Uh, your heavenly father, he does that. People who love you, they do that. They don't hide behind 
sensitivity or indifference or discomfort. That's, that's who does that. And if they still refuse to listen, and if you're like me, it's got to already be drumming up something that's uncomfortable, like what could possibly be next. Tell it to the assembly. Now, your, your, your Bibles would say tell it to the church. That, that's actually a very poor translation of the word. It, it really should have always been assembly because we would never do it in here because it would be so weird in here. You don't know her and she doesn't know you. and Like, take them to their community, to their assembly. Take them to the folks who know them and who love them and care for them and want to see them restored in their relationship with Jesus. Irrelevant, you, you've heard it before, we call those our T-Life groups. Or for next gen, middle school, high school, we call those our small groups. These are the people that know you. These are the people that you've put in your life and allowed them to know you. And they love you. And they care about you. And if they refuse to listen even to the assembly, treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. And if you've been a part of the church for a long time, I know I've actually heard this preached this way. I've heard that line preached that we should shun them. That we should push them out of our lives. That we should walk out of the lives because they didn't listen to us. So just leave them. And that's not at all what it means. That doesn't sound anything like Jesus. No, that verse is just saying, you know, you treat them as someone who has different values than you. You treat them as somebody who has a different worldview. Because when you went into this whole thing, you thought you had common ground. And now you finally realized you don't have common ground. If you're, if, if you're trying to help them with their marriage, you're assuming they have a desire for their marriage to be godly. They may not. And so once you realize that, it's no longer your business. The assumption that you came into with common ground, that you've realized that's not true. And so now you have to step back and say, hey, I, I was wrong. Like, and you love them the way that you would love anybody who is not currently walking with Jesus. You walk alongside of them and you love them and you lead them the best that you can. And you hope and you pray for them that they might come to know Jesus and want to follow him. But you don't walk away from them. You don't push people out of your life who need you more than anything. So the whole verse all together says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they do not listen, or if they listen to you, you have won them over. And at this point, I know I've been super convincing. So you're like, okay, Matt, I'm with you. I'm going to go kick some tail. Okay, slow down. Slow down. Uh, not every relationship is ready for this. Uh, I know that I have some obligation as a follower of Jesus to to be doing this in anybody's life that also followed Jesus. But not every relationship is ready for this. So I came up with three kind of filter questions that I think you should ask when it comes time to kick somebody's tail. I know that I will ask these questions. First one is this. We just talked about it. Is the person even a follower of Jesus? This is a mistake we make all the time. Uh, we assume that everybody wants to live under the same shared value system that we want to live under. They may not. If they are a follower of Jesus... Have you earned the right? Tail kicking requires a certain level of relational equity. Uh, to do it really well in somebody's life, you have to know them. They have to know you. You have to trust them. They have to trust you. It requires time and it requires effort. Have you earned the right? And then the final question is this, what's my desired outcome? You have to ask yourself, is it my goal to see them brought back to spiritual health? 
Do I, do I want to see them brought back to wholeness? Do I want to see them restored in their relationship with Jesus? What do I really want for them? Or is it my motivation to be right? Like, is it my goal to go and kick their butt a little bit so I can prove my spiritual dominance over them? What's your motivation? We all need tail kickers in our lives. Uh, that's a way for us to know how to go be that for somebody else. But we also know how, we have to know how to find them, to do the best that we can to find them. And so we have three questions that I think would be helpful with that as well. Are you putting yourself in an environment where these types of relationships can happen? As I mentioned earlier, we call them T-Life groups. I'm not going to put up the uh, text code thing today because I don't think people will be signing up in droves after this message. But <laughs> let me just tell you, these are the places that we believe they can happen. We do our best to set the table for it. Uh, we can't create these relationships. We can't create any of these relationships. All we can do is put you in a place, do our best to give you the opportunity for these relationships to happen. Are you putting yourself in those environments? Second thing, are you giving anyone permission to do this in your life? Uh, this one, pretty self-explanatory. If you're in these environments, if you're around these people, have you actually pulled somebody aside and said, hey, man, if you see something in me, if you see something in me that I can't see in myself, if you see me veering off path, if you see me heading a direction that's going to send my life into chaos, I need you to speak up. I need you to step into the uncomfortable. I need you to be awkward and come have a conversation with me that you don't want to have. Are you giving anybody permission to do this in your life? And when they do, when they do, what's your reaction? Because your reaction to your friends who step into the uncomfortable and step into the awkward to do this for you, your reaction will be the determiner of their willingness to do it next time. And there will be a next time. You want them to step past all the fear and the discomfort in the future. And so you need to react in a way that would give them the trust to know that they can do it again. It's not easy. When somebody comes to do this for you, I know, like, the, the natural reaction for us is to push back and to argue and to be right. But step back in humility. Give it some time. Give it some breath. So that they might know that you care enough about them and you know they care about you to even come and do that for you. They'll do it again in the future. See, tail kickers do what love requires. And as a follower of Jesus, you're to do this whether you feel like it or not. In fact, just this past week, we had a situation in my T-Life group. Now, it wasn't some huge big sin issue. It was the big ones that we have high on the list. It was just something going on that just wasn't quite right. Like there was a, if you have a text thread with a lot of guys, maybe a lot of girls, I don't know, I'm not in any of those. But a lot of guys, like there's times that it can, it can veer off course, right? And that's all it was. Like there's a few people posting some things on this text thread that we didn't need to have on there. And so I just, I had to say something. I, I hate it when I'm preaching a sermon and God gives me an opportunity to experience it. I wish I didn't have to do that, but that was what was going on. And I'll tell you, it's never easy. Even in a small, simple situation like a text thread, it's not easy to be the one to stand up and say, hey, guys, we should probably, if we want to be more like Jesus, we should probably stop doing that. It's not easy. It's super uncomfortable. But it's always worth it. And don't camouflage your fear and your discomfort and your apprehension with concern, with with sensitivity. Woe to those who cause someone to stumble, but blessed are those who step up and talk and speak and confront those who have stumbled. See, love forbids me from minding my own business when I notice that someone's business needs to be minded. Here's what I have to say kind of as I close up. I bet, I bet there's people in the room who are starting to feel really uncomfortable because there's a name. There's a situation, there's a person, 
there's someone you love that's coming to mind. And right now, right now you're praying in your head, God, I pray that someone here knows them and will obey this sermon because I'm not going to. Like I know it. But please don't let those emotions, those feelings, that discomfort, that indifference keep you from doing what you know love requires of you. Somebody needs to hear from you. Somebody's future might depend on it. Somebody's marriage and, and the continuation of their marriage, it may depend on you stepping up. Ultimately, and, and most importantly, somebody's transformation. Somebody continuing to be more and more who God created them to be, it may depend on you stepping in to the uncomfortable and saying something that needs to be said. And there's no guaranteed outcomes in this. You don't do this because you're sure it's always going to work. You do this because Jesus commanded you to do this. Here's the amazing thing about this principle. The thing I kind of want us all to grab hold of today. It's just another opportunity for us to live out Jesus' one final command. You see, when Jesus, right before he was about to leave this earth, he sat with his disciples and he said this. I mentioned it the first week of this series. You are to love others the way I have loved you, and that's all this is. This is simply doing for others what God, through Jesus, has already done for us. Just one more way for us to love the way that we've been loved. We sing about it all the time. In fact, it's one of our favorite songs as a church. I think the global church is probably one of the church's favorite songs. We say these words. There's no shadow he won't light up. Mountain he won't climb up coming after me. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that God didn't decide that my sin wasn't any of his business. There's no wall he won't kick down. The lie he won't tear down coming after me. Coming after you. Aren't you so glad that he didn't decide to back off when he saw you veer off? The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Why was, it, why was it so reckless? Because he didn't do the comfortable thing. He did, he did the reckless thing. God sent Jesus into this world knowing you may never choose to receive the gift. God sent Jesus to pay for your sin, to be the punishment and the payment for your sin, and he announced forgiveness beforehand knowing you may never choose to accept it. That's reckless. So for Jesus to ask us to do for others what he's already done for us on the cross, that's not unusual. What would be unusual would be for us to ignore his grace, to ignore his grace to us by ignoring his call for us to do for others what he's done for us. In these last words, chases me down, fights till I'm found, and he leaves the 99. I know for me, I'd say nearly 100% of the time, when God has chased me down, it hasn't been through an audible voice in prayer. It hasn't been in a dream. It hasn't been in skywriting. It's been through a tail kicker in my life. It's been through somebody who decided to step into the awkwardness. It's been through somebody who was not afraid to be uncomfortable, but to come to me and say, hey, Matt, I see something that you don't see. I, I see where you're headed and it's not going to work out for you. It's been these people coming into my life and speaking into my life and, and, and helping me change and become more who God has created in me. And I'm so, 
so grateful. So who needs to hear from you? Who needs to hear from you? Like, who are you already thinking about that, that you know you need to have a conversation with, but, but you're scared? Because ultimately, you have the greatest opportunity to see their lives forever changed if you're willing to speak up, if you're willing to do what love requires. Would you pray with me? God, if there's anybody in the room that is feeling God chase after them, if there's anybody in the room who for, maybe for the first time is realizing, hey, I don't, I don't even have a relationship with him yet. And I just want to give you the opportunity to accept that free gift that I spoke about of his grace and the payment for your sin. You can do that simply by just praying with me, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I, I know my need for a savior. Would you be my savior? And Jesus, would you lead me from this day forward? God, I'm so grateful for the way that you chase after us. I'm so grateful that when, when I veer off path, that you're not just walking with me on the straight and narrow, but you're walking with me on a jagged, rocky path as well. You're with me, and you're always calling me back to relationship with you, and I'm so grateful. God, I pray that you'd help us to know how to be this and to do this for other people. I pray that you'd help us to know how to, uh, in humility, accept it from our friends who love us, Ultimately, so that we can grow and change to be more like you. So that we can go out in this world and we can see this world completely transformed by you. Lord, we love you. Praise all these things in your name. Amen.